Worldview Update, bringing you closer to international news. In India, in the state of Manipur, at least 55 people have now been killed, nearly 300 hurt. 23,000 people have been displaced from the area after what's being described as ethnic violence between two different groups. The Indian armies had to be brought in to stop the violence between the groups known as the Cookie and Matei groups. Dr. Sayan Day is a postdoctoral fellow at the Witt Center for Diversity Studies at Wits University. Dr. Day, good morning and thanks for your time this morning. Hello, morning, Stephen. What causes violence like this in India? Why are people from these two groups fighting each other I mean, so intensely? So many people have died. Well, uh, Stephen, uh, so it's important to understand that this is not the first time that uh, such an ethnic violence has sort of erupted in the northeastern parts of India. And this time it's between two ethnic groups, the Meitei group and the Kuki group. And it's about with respect to what has been reported in the news, it's about with respect to getting uh, certain privileges from the government with respect to their marginalized uh, identities, official marginalized identities, where the Kuki group believed that the Meiti group is already privileged and they shouldn't receive extra privileges from the government. And that sort of broke out this conflict. But it is also important to know that historically, these sort of conflicts in the northeastern part of India has always been very structural, has always been very structural, where the mainstream government ideas have always been forced into their indigenous community spaces. And these internal fragmentations have been historically created. So in other words, you're saying that the government is trying to force its view of the world onto groups of people who have their own view of the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it has been always like this. I mean, one of the major reasons, if you look at uh, northeastern India's resistance to be a part of the mainstream uh, you know, Indian government since India's independence in 1947, one of the many reasons was how racially, culturally, politically, the mainstream Indian government has always tried to enforce its rules and regulations on the northeastern parts of India. And in the past, conflicts have broken out because of the interventions of the army, where they try to disrupt people's life, where they try to sort of generate various other forms of gendered and sexual violence in northeastern parts of India. So conflicts of this sort have always been existence in northeastern parts of India. And this time, obviously, it has taken a new shape. When the army, the National Indian Army, I presume it is, has to go in, I presume people there want them to bring peace. But now you've got the army back, you know, the very symbol of the national government uh, using violence, I presume, um, to stop this violence. But then this means that the Indian army is again in these areas where people don't really like the Indian state. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the Indian army, the once the Indian army comes in, what is being projected in the media is that they are coming in in order to restore peace and justice. But when you get into the internal narratives, because I personally have a lot of my colleagues and friends who are based in these places in Manipur, and you see a totally different story. They show from the outside that it is for peace and justice, but internally, the local residents, the indigenous residents are subjected to multiple forms of violence which very strategically goes unreported in the media. And even if they're reported, they will be presented as something ethical, something for the sake of restoring discipline in the places. Um, so it's very complex in that way. 
The the Western media described this violence as ethnic violence. Is that the right phrase to use? Well, yes. I mean, it is an ethnic violence because uh, two two groups of people, the, you know, it's two ethnic groups apparently who went into conflict and created this whole ruckus. But also it's important to understand that this ethnic violence has to be understood. This whole perspective of ethnic violence needs to be understood, not just in the present moment of the conflict between two groups. There are also a lot of those external, uh, those sort of external provocations that comes from the mainstream Indian governments who have always tried to sort of take a complete control over the northeastern parts of India. And then for that reason, they have sort of injected these internal conflicts there. So to, it's fine, we call it ethnic violence, but also it's important to understand beyond the conflicts of these two groups within the wider historical framework. Um, when this happens, so the Indian army is there, now tension's very high, uh, could the people in this area try and sort of want independence from India almost, try and weaken the hand of the national the central Indian government in their lives and try and have some kind of independence? I mean, India technically, I think, if I remember correctly, is a federal state. The states do have quite, quite important powers. But could they want to actually try and break away from India as a whole? Well, yes, that they have been trying uh, for quite some time. They wanted to have the whole northeastern parts of India, which are, there are eight states in India, which are collectively known as eight sisters. And the eight sisters have already tried their best to create their own independent government space. And uh, if, we, if we look at the strategies in which they work, for instance, when the rest of India celebrates uh, independence Day on 15th August 1947, just as an example, I'm citing this, a lot, a lot, many parts of northeastern parts of India they sort of celebrate the day as the black day for them because they think that they still are not independent and they are consistently subjected to multiple forms of marginalizations by the mainstream Indian communities and the government on a daily life. So they still want their own space for their cultures, for their government, for their indigenous lifestyles to flourish. Thank you very much indeed. Dr. Sayan Day is a postdoctoral fellow at the Witt Centre for Diversity Studies uh, at Witt's University. Uh, of course, uh, from India, as you can hear, understands the area, knows the area very, very well. Very cogent explanation, Dr. Day. Thank you very much indeed. Well, lots to come in the next little while. We'll be talking, of course, and focusing a bit more on electricity. So plenty to come. You are with SAFM coming up now to 27 minutes after six.